Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, where three brothers from three different generations talk about their one shared passion, music. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my brother, Christian Lewis. It's a Brother, Brother podcast, and today we're talking Zamrock. You can now listen to episodes on our brand new Brother Pod app, which also gives you access to additional new music, music news, clips, and content that we curate for each episode. It's also a place where you can interact with us directly through the talkback feature. Ask us questions, make suggestions, and voice your own opinions. Just search BrotherPod in the App Store to download on your mobile advice. As always, you can learn more about the pod at BrotherPod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now, Christian's going to school me on Zamrock. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis. I'm here with my brother, Christian Lewis, and it is a brother-brother podcast, and today we are talking about something that's really been on the tip of everybody's tongue lately. Um, Christian, what is Zamrock? Well, thank you for asking, Wyndham. Um, Not to be confused with Jamrock of Damian Marley uh, origin. Zamrock is actually uh, it's a genre that of, of like psychedelic rock um, and sort of garage music that originated in Zambia in the 1970s, which um, I think satisfies like every ch- like tech tick box for um, obscure music esoterica uh, that that somebody might be looking for, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I believe there's a uh, there's a little miniature Ezra Koning uh, floating around your head right now, whispering in your ear. Um, asking questions like, how did rock get to Zambia? Well, I, I would, you know, I, I think the portmanteau uh, Zamrock, um, in, in DJ Manasa Fury's words, uh, the, the legendary DJ Manasa Fury, um, is that, quotes, one part is from England and America, but the other part is from Africa, Zambia. So it's Zambian type of rock, Zamrock. Is it? Uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> give me a little historical context. Yeah, here, no, since absolutely. You're, since you're better at that big, uh, than I am, I mean, in terms of global I, uh, geopolitics, what is uh, is Zambia a British? Um, it was, yeah, okay. and and this is really, I mean, so part of the part of my excitement over this is really how incredibly like enmeshed it all is in the sort of independence politics of the era, but also it's just fucking ripping music and I should start by saying that my introduction to this was um, actually I was hanging out in the uh, knitting factory in Brooklyn one night and uh, a guy was you know spinning albums in the um, in the big sort of bar room and uh, a song by this band Witch came on um, called Lazy Bones and uh, Witch for the uninitiated um, is actually an acronym that means we intend to cause havoc um, and but this song just has like the most incredible like swagger and swing to it, um, you know, despite the the sort of thinness of the of the recording, and and that sort of sent me down this incredible rabbit hole, um, and I've I've just been sort of uh, uh, trying to learn about this music ever since, and I have to say it's 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 really difficult. I mean, there isn't a ton um, of sort of recorded history about this, and it was uh, fairly short lived, but to take you back to sort of the the origins here. Um, you know, Zambia is landlocked. Uh, it's in southern um, sub-Saharan Africa. It was a British colony, and you know they 
gained independence in 1964, um, at which point sort of English music, you know, it was a relatively nonviolent and relatively peaceful um, transition of power, uh, which meant that, you know, English music and, and American music wasn't um, demonized the way that it maybe was in certain other places. And in particular, this, you know, managed to garner a lot of popularity in the Copper Belt, which was, uh, like, basically it was a a strip of copper mines um, through the middle of the country where British miners and Zambian miners, you know, worked side by side for all intents and purposes. So, you know, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, Hendrix um, was you know, sort of slowly diffusing into society. And, you know, folks were, were hearing these records and thinking, shit, let's, you know, this is this is awesome stuff. We can make our own instruments and do this. Um, if this is the Copper Belt, does that mean we get the Zambian John Cougar Mellencamp or the Zambian uh, Bruce Springsteen or Billy Joel coming The outfield. To- <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, not, well, uh, thankfully, uh, thankfully they didn't have quite the same um, backlash, I should say, that, uh, but, you know, more like um, northern industrial England, maybe. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, by 1970, um, a handful of bands had formed in Lusaka, uh, the capital, recording at a, a few small studios and putting out records basically by two companies. Um, so you you may be asking why you've never heard of it. Why have I never heard of this? Why, thank you for asking, Wyndham. Um, the vibrant scene, uh, really, you know, it, this only existed for a couple of years, and, and part of it was, you know, uh, a, an economic meltdown um, that was highly unstable. Uh, the independence hero, um, who I'll talk about because he has a very um, sort of interesting contribution to, uh, to this scene, um, you know, the independence hero turned president was, was, was really tightening his grip on power and, and sort of choking off some of the uh, more eccentric avenues of cultural expression. Um, and, you know, a couple of neighboring countries were at war. Um, but most devastating of all, honestly, was, was the fact that AIDS was just ravaging the country. And, um, you know, it, the band I mentioned earlier, which um, all but one of their members uh, had died of AIDS by 1991. Um, I mean, it really did just tear apart uh, uh, this this community. That sucks. That was, a, I mean, that is the one band, and, and, you know, I do know that song, Lazy Bones. I didn't realize which was from Zambia. I, I've caught them on sort of African psych rock compilations, and they, they are, it's killer stuff. Yeah, um, and, I mean, I, I think that it, it had a very brief um, sort of... Uh, um, resurgence a couple of years ago and and part of this was um you know the influence of a couple of you know fairly big uh, crate digger djs um a guy named egon alipat who was uh, uh who runs um, now again records um and is also a sort of a lecturer affiliated with like i know red bull music academy um who sort of devoted himself to unearthing um, and re-releasing some of these classic records. Uh, and really, the, the heyday that we're talking about here is 1972 to 77. Um, so, you know, this guy, Egon, spent the next few years looking for rare records starting in around 2010 um, and collaborating on a pretty cool short documentary that, that uh, we'll, we'll send out. Um, but a funny story about this is that so he sort of... he reached out to these guys, you know, the handful of surviving members, um, and he really wanted them to, you know, find, dig out the masters and figure out how we can actually uh, re-record some of this stuff, remaster it, and, um, excuse me, not re-record, but remaster it, and uh, and, and get it published again. Um, 
and a funny story about this is that he was sending thousands and thousands of dollars um, all of a sudden uh, to Zambia, and his Western Union account was shut down by U.S. customs officials who assumed that he was being duped by Internet scammers. <laughs> um, so eventually he was able to clarify yeah, that this was not being sent. Yeah. yeah, He does know the prince, exactly. <laughs> the prince of Zamrock. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it was, it's... Like it just goes to show you sort of how how obscure um, this taste is, and and you know how difficult it was to, um, you know, even making a, a perfectly good faith effort, um, how difficult it had become to uh, to really get this get the word out. Well, let me ask you um, one, let me ask you one quick question, yeah. just because this, you know this stuff has always come to me in sort of um, you know broader continent um, uh, inclusive uh, music compilations or people who you know you sort of discover. African, you know, seventies African rock and roll, and and it's you know William Onyebor is a good example, yeah. But is there was there a sense of community intra, con, you know, country, or was it were these very specifically uh, national scenes? Well, so okay, the the first thing I'll say, and this was this was a common refrain um, that I <laughs> that I if I really want to just troll somebody else, I'll just say Africa is not a country. Um, which I always think is an important reminder, uh, but no, I mean, it, it, look, there, there were um, there were definitely elements that were pulling these sort of independent national scenes together, and um, you know, there, this was at the height of um, a political period uh, known as Pan Africanism, um, and so all you know, Zamrock Zamrockers really sort of drew inspiration from this well of talent that was flourishing in the wake of independence. Um, and, you know, I think like the optimistic political moods that followed independence, there was a real sense of like ownership and authorship um, that started to fuse together the best parts of local and, and foreign cultures. Um, but, you know, at the same time that Zamrock was happening, you were hearing, you know, Eastern Nigeria uh, boasted this like really exuberant sort of uh, rock sound um, and Afrobeat was really sort of uh, taking taking hold. Senegal. South Africa had yeah jazz legend uh, jazz legends um, Dudu Pukwana uh, and a guy named uh, Louis Mabolo, um, who were you know I think both both pretty big names uh, and similarly you know make these same types of samplers that, that you're talking about. Um, and then I think the the real sort of juggernauts of this um, were you know Osibisa. Uh, who were sort of pan-African juggernaut. Um, and they, they really did make a splash, I think, internationally um, in a way that a lot of these other bands didn't. Yeah, this music's um, but, a lot bigger. I mean, just for the you know, yeah. for edification, this music has had a lot more popular reach in England than it did in uh, America ever, I think. I think that's right. And, I mean, part of that is just the... the we- you know, the weird sort of special relationship, I guess, you could say that Britain has with... You know, even countries that are former Commonwealth countries or former, uh, you know, colonies, they they continue to have that sort of strange cultural bond, um, and it's just like I, I I don't know how to describe. It's like it's like the way everybody feels after a particularly you know embarrassing. Um, sort of one night stand. I guess it's like nobody's particularly happy about what happened, um, but I guess they know each other now. Interesting. Um, <laughs> I was going to... That's probably not harsh a, enough, um, actually. A shitty step-parent that, that grows docile in, in older age, but is still nice to your parent that they're married to. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, 
I think that's that's fair. And I think we're we're likely uh, probably like trying to reduce the, <laughs> this rela- this incredibly complicated um, relationship to, uh, to uh, any kind of relationship s- in the United States. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's the simplest thing ever. Everything. That doesn't sound like anybody might be offended by that. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, okay. So. But bottom line is like, yeah, there's this weird connection that England has to all of its its you know former colonies, um, and in a lot of cases, yes, they're they weren't you know you're not exactly remembering favorably the the period of um, empire, but at the same time, like there are certain things that just sort of blended you know blended in with with local society. Um, well, and this, so this this is your this is the ultimate in in um, severe test to the fact that nobody hates the Beatles. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so this is, and, and the Stones for that matter. So this is, I think, okay, it's, it's, it's worth pointing out, like, forged by a very particular set of national circumstances. Um, and there's this sort of idiosyncratic array of influences that I think set it apart from its African peers. Um, so while it may, might make it onto those samplers, uh, it's, you know, it's a sound that's really, it's a little bit difficult to nail down, but I think it's, it's very self-consciously nodding to, like, hard rocks progenitors. Um, you know, with this sort of bending rhythms that are, and, you know, really, I think, characteristic of this uh, sort of more Z- or more traditional Zambian music. Um, but, a, but a huge, you know, force in this was sort of the, the really innovative guitar stylings, um, which just incorporated a ton of wah um, and fuzz. Uh, and sort of the guitar wizardry started by, um, you know, Hendrix and Clapton. Um, and so while they all had... Uh, you know, while almost every country at that time had a music scene, um, you know, worth mentioning, I think there were few that were as directly influenced by rock music, um, aside from maybe Nigeria. And I think, uh, in many ways, um, the cool uh, sort of contribution that I mentioned earlier of, of, of the president here, um, was, was tied in with his ideology of Zambian socialism. And so this was sort of like a local expression of the pan-Africanism promoted elsewhere by guys like Kwame Nkrumah in Ghana and, and um, Nyerere in uh, Tanzania and Mobutu Sese Seko in Zaire. Um, but Kanda had actually more influence on this than just sort of providing, like, context. Um, so he was a man who believed he was of many talents, um, as uh, including he felt he was so good at president, he should do it for 30 or 40 years. Um, but, uh, you know, like many independence heroes at the time, um, he sort of wanted to preserve social harmony by, like, helping to shore up local culture. Um, and, you know, he, he also was a, was a pretty solid axe man himself. Um, so he immediately took over the uh, National Broadcasting Service and introduced a quota whereby 95% of the music they played had to be Zambian. Um, and so... Say his. Um, no, no, I don't. He wasn't that good. Um, but the cool part about this was that, like, you had all of this Western rock influence that had previously been played on the radio, and then suddenly they just took it away. And so you had the, like this incredible opportunity and and sort of platform for local musicians to to sort of pump their psychedelic rock music. Um, and in the early days of, I mean, this is like. We're talking, I mean, which at their height were playing for tens of thousands of people in soccer stadiums. Do you want to listen to a little bit of which and come back and talk? Absolutely. Let's do it. Lazy Bone.
today we are talking Zamrock, like zero um, percent of the rest of America at the moment. But um, it is really interesting, and um, no, I do. I appreciate the sort of uh, the academic, uh, you know, um, exercise of going back and, and and really, you know, linking it to. Um, the politics at the time because it is you know it, it, it's inextricable and and a lot of these scenes lived and died you know um you know i'm thinking not africa but you know sort of tropicalia shut down by uh the powers that be there was other uh colonial african countries uh or you know infinite african countries that were you know suddenly um closed off from the world because of political for political reasons so um you know, it, it really does go hand in hand with the history lesson. Um, but, it, you know, that said, the music is what's really super interesting here and important. What I, I know which I've, um, you know, it seems to be like one of those bands that you kind of hear about but don't hear in the same way that, you know, I felt about Can when I was, you know, 11 years old. But what, who are some of the other ones? Because which is, a, is I think the that I think that the Zambian you know, Can is definitely the best uh, the best description I think anybody's come up with for this band so far. Sam um, yeah. yeah, I mean, so which is as I said, it's probably my favorite contributor to this legion of bands. I mean, and part of it is just the way they combine the sort of their like fuzz guitar, stilted like kind of fucked up English language vocals um, and it's all fed through an $80 amp and then you have these like incredibly hard hitting swinging drums and this like really plucky bass which is pretty cool um, I think these guys really achieve that sort of aural effect that that harkens back to Nugget style psych tinged garage rock I mean I just there's they if you told me when I'd first heard them that they were part of the Nuggets compilation, I would have, you know, I would have believed it. Um, and, you know, which is charismatic lead singer, um, Emmanuel Chanda, uh, was actually known as Jagari, um, which was an Africanization of Mick Jagger's name. Um, and he'd sort of, you know, fuse the rock rhythms of the Rolling Stones and these fuzzed out guitars of cream and, and this sort of homegrown calendula rhythm. Um, and, you know, which ended up touring all over southern and eastern Africa from Botswana to Kenya um, and really playing to, you know, as I said, tens of thousands in soccer stadiums. It's pretty awesome. Um, so, uh, you know, another another one of my favorites here, um, and I mentioned calendula uh Music and you know that's Ngozi family. Uh, Paul Ngozi is is credited with you know creating Kalindala, which is sort of Zamrock's distinct musical style, which typically features a sort of lead funky fuzzy electric guitar and this rock like Roomba beat mixing uh, English and local languages. Um, and Ngozi was was also known for just like utterly spectacular. Um, stage antics, uh, and actually a, a number of these bands were, um, they really sort of took on the, uh, like stadium, um, approach to rock and roll, which was, we are just going to be bigger and like more freakishly energetic than anybody's ever been. Um, and so, you know, he, he would play the guitar with his teeth, um, you know, a la Hendrix, um, and was just utterly adored by, by, you know, the, the, hordes of uh, uh fans um but he also you know had he sort of incorporated these poignant relevant lyrics i think that they that sort of represented the um uh represented the you know current of, of politics and you know even went on a pretty controversial tour of south africa at the height of apartheid where he uh, took the stage and proceeded to champion the politics of black power um and you can imagine how that went um he was very. He was asked to leave. <laughs> yeah. 
Did he play Sun City <laughs> as an encore? Um, but, uh, you know, another another sort of one of these leading groups was uh, was Amanaz. Um, and Amanaz helped ensure that these guys, that, like, Samurai garnered a reputation for, for incendiary performances as much as Paul Ngozi did. Um, and, you know, they, they had a pretty high degree of stagecraft. And I, I was reading about a story um, in which they uh, their lead singer um, at a gig in Lusaka in 1974, I was there, um, began uh, when their lead singer burst out of a coffin on stage wearing a flared black and white skeleton suit, um, which is just fucking awesome. Uh, I'm imagining a sort of spinal tap bursting out of the dinosaur egg mm-hmm. situation here. Yeah, or Alice Cooper's guillotine or, or um, Gigi Allen's entire live catalog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, there are some, some real highlights among those groups, and I think um, we can... Uh, uh, we can turn over and listen to another. Uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll post some of the stuff on on the absolutely. app too on our uh, on our feed on the app, which would be great. But yeah, I'd love to. I'm I'm gonna go deep diving on this stuff. So point me in the right absolutely. direction. Absolutely. Um, I think our our next step is uh, is gonna be to take a listen to um, some Ngozi family and Amanaz. special way, the same exact way we've done it for the past 104 shows, and that is, uh, Christian, besides Witch and Amanaz, what are you listening to? Well, uh, I've, I've been, you know, rummaging around in the, in the depths of Zamrock, obviously, but um, aside from that, I've got to say, I love uh, Chance the Rapper's four um, new cuts that, uh, that just hit the airwaves um, of the internet. Uh, Last week, um, and so the four songs are: I, I might need security, sixty fifth, and Ingleside uh, workout, and Walla Cam. Um, and I need, I might need security. I think it's just a is. I really think the the highlight or the standout track here. Um, it's absolutely awesome. It grapples with like the politics of Chicago, with um, you know his his own sort of experience and and um, uh, struggles with fame and enjoyment of it. Um, and of course his, his family life. I mean, and that really is the sort of the intimate portrait into the mind of this guy that, that, um, I think has characterized all of his, uh, best music. Um, so while I would not say it is radio friendly, um, for reasons that you'll immediately understand when you throw it on, um, it's a killer tune. So Wyndham, how about you? 
Um, I have not been quite so academic in my approach. In fact, I have been doing frivolous and fun, and when I those two words come together, uh, nobody's not suitable for anybody as much as Mr. Jake Shears, who just put out his uh, solo record. Um, and uh, I don't know. It, I listen to this album, and I, I, you know, it's his stuff is always fun and cheeky. And you know, the Scissor Sisters were a great band. He's striking out on his own, um, apparently sober, and relocated to New Orleans, which you hear a bit of. I think the well, yeah, that always that always goes hand in well hand with sobriety. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like going to Berlin to kick. Um, but uh, also, my morning jacket's back. I'm on part of this. I think Josh Homme guests on it. It's um, he's always had this sort of infectious spirit, and he writes a f- he's a funny lyricist um, who really writes you know big bouncy pop tunes, and you know in the spirit of like the best version of Elton John, and and the vocal uh, you know sort of comp would be you know the George Michael when he was happy, which you know when you go back through his. Uh, solo catalog he wasn't happy that often he wrote a lot of sort of maudlin stuff so this is um you know this is a fun uh you know sort of party record but it's got you know it's got some um messages in the uh in the balladry and then there's also some you know really fun um you know sort of take your mama out style balladry um, you know rockers uh no it's it's just you know, it's a silly thing to say. I mean, the lead single is called Big Bushy Mustache, <laughs> so that gives you some indication of how serious he's gotten. But, um, no, I've, I've always liked Jake Shears. I've always liked his voice, and I've always wondered what he's kind of going to do next, and I guess this is it. You know, I always... I, I, the Scissor Sisters, to me, it was really difficult to identify their place in the world because they had hits. Um, nobody ever talked about them as, like, a band band so much as, you know, they felt like a novelty that was really... Ye- you know, well beyond the musicality and and talent of a novel. Well, part act. of it is so, the is the fact um, that they they model themselves in a sort of variety act or, or novelty act. You know, it's like that is the the image that they put forward. Um, and oh yeah, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't have like a you know a, you know uh, um, synchronized skaters at you know at their live shows. It's that kind of you know it was so much of a, a circus that they. But you know what? Another town. band that's very similar. Right, to, right, I, I mean, not all that similar except in, in um, time frame and I, I believe country they're English right none of them no uh, the guitar player might okay. I think might have been English um, but I no I, they're all American I mean I think I think uh, he's from like you know Arizona uh, hmm. okay well never mind them I can't remember whether it's them or um, you know uh, who's the man that tongue tied um, group love that uh, I'm sorry? That group love, group love, yeah, group love. I know had some Australians. British or Australian yeah. members, but um, no, they were they were led by Americans, but I think they had an Australian member. Um, but yeah, Scissor Sisters, I can imagine thinking that they were because they do have that sort of Gary Glitter Campy quality, um, yeah, uh, well, glam rock quality right. too in the in the tunes. I mean, it's all very 1970s um, and celebrating um, and decadent in the same way. But I also think that, like, I never understood, like, how big they got or how big they didn't get. It was, it was one of those bands that just maybe just slipped my radar, but other people... No, it's just I never knew where to put them uh, in the landscape of that's, things. But That's I like am, Florence uh, and the Machine for me. Um, I, per- perfect. I, yeah, song. I just never understood. But, like, I'm always confused when I see um, their advertising for Barclays Center shows on the subway. And I'm just like, What? 
<laughs> like, exactly. I, who is this for? <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. But you don't know how much, how, you know, I mean, Florence and the Machine is the perfect example of, of like a band that just got way bigger than you considered them, but also you couldn't really put your finger on how everybody got to the same place. Right. Um, no, I've, I don't think I ever had a conversation with anybody about how good Florence and the Machine is, which I, I feel like I would have. Uh, you know, just if if other people were that excited about it, I you know, um, but yeah, no, that's a that's a great way of of um, characterizing it. I think so. Um, that's good stuff. Well, do you want to put some songs on the playlist now, or do you have other? I what do. are you listening In to fact, to talk about? I just changed. I know. I just changed my mind about what's oh, good. Put All on. right. Well, let's hear it. I'm actually going to go Florence and the Machine, um, but my favorite Florence and the Machine song, which I don't think ever was, got a lot of radio play, and I don't think is probably in the wheelhouse of most people who like Florence and the Machine, and that's Kiss with a Fist. Hmm. All right. Um, I'll have to refresh my memory on that one, actually. Which, uh, which album is that? Do you remember? That's the first okay. album, and it was the first single they ever put out, and did, they completely changed directions, but it's got a, a real sort of Chrissy Hind Tattooed Love Boys kind oh, of quality. Nice. I mean, the name of the song is Kiss with a Fist. Um, all right, well, in the uh, in the vein of um, Zamrock, I think uh, it's time that we finally throw Lazy Bones by Witch on there. Nice. Nicely done. Well, thank you for the education today. Absolutely. Um, and there's some cool stuff that we're going to put out through the app and uh, um, through our socials, including um, a short sort of rockumentary on on sam rock it's like 15 minutes long it's in, it's basically interviews with um a couple of the the sort of uh, founding figures of it um and uh in addition to that um a handful of pretty cool articles that uh that you know sort of well-researched stuff that that i was pleased to to stumble upon so well thank you i uh, i'm looking forward to seeing yeah. this and uh let's uh we will talk again very sounds soon. sounds good later excellent talk to you I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com, follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>